very special day today. Liverpool have set a new uh, English record in the Champions League. But more importantly, we are celebrating the birthday of a fine man sitting to my left. <laughs> Kicking off the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio with a big happy birthday to Mr. Josh Parrish. It's very sad that I went, why is it a special day? What is he talking about? <laughs> well, what English football milestone are we referring to? Uh, thank you very much, Nicholas Hughes. My uh, pleasure. Look, it's always a pleasure to be in here in FNR, and even more so when uh, Lockie has promised to buy me dinner afterwards. So, you know. There you go. Lockie's shout tonight. I, I heard he's, uh, he's, he's also gifting you a, a fill-in uh, for a shift uh, coming up, <laughs> which is... Uh, which is good, fantastic. Good boy, good boy Lockie. <laughs> uh, we'll leave Lockie to uh, make his, his whey powder smoothie and eat his <laughs> make bag of spinach. Through his bag of spinach. <laughs> uh, the, but... the Lockie Flanagan nutrition program, I think, could rival some of the, the tomato sauce wars that we were talking about the other week. It is absolutely very disciplined. It get is him, a tight ship that he runs. Get him, uh, sign him up as a nutritionist, I reckon, at, uh, at one of the Premier League clubs. I reckon he'd... Uh, He'd do a smashing job. Or cast him in the live-action Popeye movie because he's <laughs> downing that much spinach. Oh, dear, I love it. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get straight into it uh, here on the EPL show. Uh, as I touched on, uh, Liverpool have become the first English team ever, uh, which seems like it might have been something that someone must have done already, uh, but apparently not. Uh, the first English team to win all six Champions League group stage games. It was a second string side. They went to the San Siro um, this morning where uh, Porto were hosting Atletico Madrid. That group was all to play for underneath Liverpool. Uh, Milan took the lead, uh, but it was a, a very, very good performance from uh, from a second string Liverpool team, Tyler Morton again, teenager in midfield, looks very, uh, very, very accomplished. Uh, Divock Origi with another goal after his uh, his weekend heroics uh, and the Champions League comes to an end for the Reds and for Manchester City as well, who went down 2-1 to RB Leipzig, but uh, I don't think anyone really cared about that one. It's interesting that they're setting this record now because there have been so many outstanding English teams in the past who haven't done it. I think this says more about the wealth concentration in the Premier League compared to the rest of Europe mm. than it necessarily does about Liverpool because they rotated the whole side and they still got the result yeah, against there AC was, Milan. There was plenty of talk this morning between uh, Craig Foster, Mark Bosnich and and Max Rushton about um, you know the, the Serie A has been – and I, I, I certainly don't want to talk out of place because I, I, I'm not a regular Serie A watcher necessarily but it's it's been a particularly in the last couple of years it's been a very exciting title race but it's probably not a great look when top spot mm. in the Serie A loses to yeah a, a B team if you like and you know Liverpool's B team mind you is is of course still very strong uh and I, I don't think there's uh room for a conversation to be had about you know the strength of different leagues the Serie A is is obviously a, a fantastic division and, and one of the top ones in world football, um, but but that was something that they brought up this morning on the on the Stan Sport coverage. Yeah, because I mean I, I remember Manchester United going close to doing that a couple of times, and then in the last match day, Fergie would always bring the kids in and they always lose or mm. draw, 
Um, and you know you'd see some names that you never like heard or heard from again. Like a lot of those United players with like two or three appearances on their CV. One of those would be a Champions League game randomly, and you'd realize it was match day six when they were already qualified in top spot. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, like I, I I do think there is a case to be answered here for how you can level the playing field in European football again. I mean, maybe it's not apparent yet, but. Uh, I think English teams are probably the favourites this season, other than say Bayern. Mm, yeah, for sure, to, to win the thing. And you know, uh, I'm not quite sure how those other leagues compete, uh, barring some kind of major uh, Super League restructure, yeah. like a continental <laughs> Super League to rival the Premier League. Because yeah. uh, it was English fans and their opposition to it that sunk the proposal um, uh, for the Super League. Much. Um, you know, a, very much a hated uh, idea, but it was largely because there was no promotion and relegation. If you had some kind of Super League competition on the continent that did have relegation, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it, or at least be open to having that discussion. Yeah, to just just to um, improve the the viewership and the revenue on those competitions, and maybe build something that can compete with the Premier League. I think it's early days here, but. It does seem to be trending in a particular direction. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think, English teams for for so long, there was plenty of talk, particularly in the UK media circles, about English teams' performances in Europe because there was a, a long period of time between uh, Chelsea's win in 2012 and I don't even think an English team made a final until... Uh, uh, until the Liverpool Spurs final in 2019, and now uh, twice in the in the last three years we've had uh, all English finals. Uh, there's also been plenty of English representation deep into the Europa League. Uh, you know, it was a, a Chelsea Arsenal final in in that same year uh, in, in 2019. Uh, Manchester United have have gone deep in the last couple of years as well, and. And you look at the the rest of the Champions League groups. Like as a as a Liverpool fan, I'm look I'm already starting to look at uh, potential opponents and outside of PSG, who you'd obviously want to avoid. As as things stand, with half the group still to be to be finished up, you're looking at Sporting Lisbon, Inter Milan, Barcelona, who are an absolute rabble, um, Villarreal, RB Salzburg, and and Juventus, and you know a few of those names namely Juventus and Barcelona, you in years gone by, you would have shuddered at the thought of, of facing them in a Champions League knockout tie, but all of a sudden you'd, um, you'd almost take it above, uh, above some of the other teams that are in the mix. So it's, you're right, it, it is a conversation to be had, and I think it's going to be interesting to, to see if this continues in, in a couple of years and sort of as European football and, and the world... Uh, continues to to move away from this pandemic. I I certainly wouldn't be surprised if a, a Super League discussion or a Super League related discussion uh, resurf- resurfaces uh, pretty quickly. But uh, we'll move on from uh, from Super League uh, and back into the, the dom- current day Super yes. League, the one that actually exists, yes, the Premier exactly. League, the the domestic action from the weekend, uh, headlined by uh, a massive result. Uh, West Ham had had. They beat Liverpool uh, at home before the international break and had uh, a couple of uh, disappointing results since then. A loss against Wolves, a loss against Man City, a draw with Brighton, uh, but back with a bang in a London derby against Chelsea with a come-from-behind 3-2 win. Uh, Plenty of excitement, plenty of drama, uh, but in the end, Chelsea were were stifled. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, 
Uh, Chelsea have been a machine. Uh, they've been so efficient. They've finished so many of their chances. You know, they're not leading the XG tables. Um, Liverpool and Man City are way ahead of them. And I wonder if that's starting to catch up with Chelsea because mm. they've had so many goals spread across the team and so many goals from wing back. It's like yeah. Reese James and Marcus Alonso have been scoring Chilwell pretty freely. Well. I mean, what's the defining uh, Chelsea goal? Like, what you know, we've seen it so many times with Man City scoring the same goal, scoring it across the six-yard box. I mean... Chelsea, probably the defining Chelsea goal is a big switch to the opposite wing back. And then, you know, the wing back yeah, scoring. And Reese James slamming it into the to the opposite side of the goal. And I know some of it's been sort of resting and injury in force, but uh, Romelu Lukaku doesn't always start for Chelsea, which I think is really interesting considering he's such an expensive acquisition. So uh, what, what do you think that's about? I mean, is it a... F- the fact that he's just got more competition for places at Chelsea that he, than he did at Inter? Is there something he's not doing that that Tuchel would want him to do uh, I'm I'm a little bit bewildered by that yeah it's it's an interesting one I think he's he's always had the, those sort of uh, physical um, issues if you like or injury issues as we we see a fair bit with with athletes around the world with that sort of build um, mm. like you look at someone like Zion Williamson coming into the NBA as uh, a, prod, a prodigious sort of talent but he just he can't keep himself fit because there's something to be said about that um, that body type where he's just so big and so muscular uh, and in a, a powerful sport, which football is as well, and, and particularly for a centre forward and a tall centre forward where you know a, a fair chunk of chance creation is going to be putting crosses onto Lukaku's yep. head. There's a lot of jumping, a lot of explosive uh, movements. He he has always struggled with um, with injuries like that and. And particularly, I feel like coming back from injuries, he's always been quite slow to, um, one, get back into the starting lineup fairly quickly and two, to get actually get up to speed um, in in his uh, his actual performances as well. But yeah, only It's three... always been a thing with big strikers that they yeah. take a little more time to get match fit than other body types. Yeah, for sure. And, and I say that, I'm, I'm just looking at, uh, at his record now, his, his number of appearances... He's made well over 30 starts in pretty much every single uh, season he's had since uh, since his first loan spell at Everton, where he was uh, he was very impressive, uh, of course, back in 2013-14. But yeah, there's something that that feels like yeah, well, when he when he sort of has a, a slight setback, that he'll he'll take a few weeks to to come and get back from it. He's only played 10 times in the league out of. What is it up to fifteen games now? I think and and only three goals, which you know you're not paying ninety million pounds for yeah. for a striker to come and score and come and score three goals. And I, I don't think he's. It's not like he's a um, an awkward fit for the team or for Tuchel's style. I think you know he's he's got the the pace and he's he's always had the work rate and and the ability to um, to finish the chances. I mean the. They prioritise a lot of width with the the wing backs, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, creation from those sort of free roaming uh, inside forwards that you know whoever it is, Mount Havertz, Ziyech, Pulisic, whoever whoever starts in those two positions behind the striker, um, and particularly when he he started like a house on fire, he scored in the first couple of games, he scored in a few Champions League games as well, but um, yeah, you, you mentioned that sort of uh, regression to the mean. Uh, you wonder if. Um, something of that sort is starting to happen to Chelsea because that's a couple of 
adverse results sure. uh, in a row now. That's three um, three times they've failed to win within their last five. A one-all draw with Burnley, uh, a one-all draw with uh, Manchester United, and now the loss to West Ham. They've re- relinquished top spot for the first time in uh, in a little while. And, uh, I mean, it's not certainly not panic stations yet, but it's, it's interesting. Um, prior to that West Ham game, I was looking at the, the sort of schedule that they have coming up, and it, it makes for, for pretty difficult reading, particularly, you know, cup competitions are starting, the, the European knockout stages that they're obviously yeah. going to be taking part in as well. So, you know, come January, February, even sort of start of March time, we could, um, we could really see it down to a two-horse race. Going back to Lukaku, I've long held the opinion that Belgium were playing him in the wrong position uh, because his best performance for Belgium still in my books, um, this is in big games, not in you know qualifiers where he scored four or whatever, uh, was in the World Cup in Russia where he played on the right-hand side against Brazil and he completely mm. tormented them in those open spaces. When he picks up speed, he's so hard to deal with when he's yeah. facing goal. And rather than shoehorn him into this target man role that he seems... Physically, you look at him, you see, it seems like he's built for that. And yes, he can hold off defenders, but his first touch isn't always that reliable in tight spaces. Mm. I know Conte worked a lot with him on that when he was at Inter, and he did improve in that regard. Uh, but at United, that was always the knock on him. Uh, Havertz, for me, his best position, and he's pretty versatile, but his best position is playing as a false nine and dropping into those spaces, picking up the ball, back to goal, combining with other players. Should... Havertz and Lukaku really be competing for the same spot? Or should Lukaku be competing with the likes of Ziyech for that inside right forward role? Mm. I don't know if that leads him, you know, to cut inside too much and have to play too much of a creative role in that lineup. But if he's able to face goal in transition and run at defenders, I mean, that's a that's a terrifying prospect. And I, I with Reese James providing the width on the outside so he can still play as, as a forward rather than a winger... I actually think he could slide into that role quite effectively. And, mm. you know, Belgium had the same dilemma playing him up front and always Dries Mertens was relegated to the wing where he always played his best football for Napoli as a false nine yeah, in yeah. that role. And I, I think this is the same situation here, potentially. Yeah, you're exactly right about the um, the whole target man sort of argument. I always felt that uh, about Christian Benteke as well. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously a, a Belgian compatriot. Plays where, it stereotyped based yeah, on their physical appearance. Yes, he's, he's obviously massive uh, in terms of height and in terms of, um, you know, muscle and broad shoulders and all. But Christian Benteke is a, a very technical centre forward. He's got a great touch, a great command uh, over a football. And, and same as Lukaku, he's not just a, a bustling, you know, Burnley, Stoke City, Route 1 sort of striker. He's very good on the ball. And again, looking at his stats, he's also a fantastic creator. He's had five assists in almost, again, going back uh, to that first sort of breakout season at Everton. So this is in the last, uh, quick maths, four, in the last nine seasons, he's uh, only had less than five assists three times. Um, Last... (laughs) I do some maths in my brain, but that sounds like a lot of assists. <laughs> Last season, he um, uh, not only scored 24 goals in a, a title-winning interside, but also chipped in with 11 assists. Um, much maligned at Manchester United, his first season, 16 goals and 7 assists is fantastic. Everton, um, four seasons in a row, he had uh, at least five assists as well. And you, the, that argument about 
playing him off the right-hand side, I remember. I'll never forget watching um, late on in that 2013 season, Everton under Roberto Martinez. They were so close to making the top four. And I remember they absolutely ripped Arsenal to shreds at Goodison Park. And Romelu Lukaku played that exact role off the right-hand side. And I remember he scored an absolute belter where he just blew by. I I assume it was probably Kieran Gibbs playing left-back for Arsenal at the time. Blew by him, slammed it in, you know, edge of the box, put it into the the opposite corner with his left foot. And I think there's there's certainly, certainly a case to be had about Chelsea putting him in that same sort of role because it's not it's not like those um those inside forwards that are, like I said before it's not like they're out and out wingers you know it's it's not an Adama Traore type where he's going to the no. byline and looking to cross you know he'll still be playing very narrow he'll still be combining with uh, whoever it is that plays in that uh, that that typical number 9 role if you like and he'll still be close to goal and creating chances and finishing chances as well. So it's certainly something to think about. And excuse me. And um, it's interesting that while Lukaku was uh, out injured, that was really when Chelsea actually looked their best. And Kai Havertz was really starting to play very well in the last couple of months and score a few goals from that number nine position. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a sort, of, sort of having a similar argument, I guess, with, um, with Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, the, individual talent and brilliance. Yes, you you obviously take that in the side every time, but are they actually better off without him in the team or may, or in a different role, I guess, in this yeah. case? I mean, that's, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, talking about this game against West Ham, I wouldn't read a huge amount into it. There was a couple of individual errors. Yeah. I mean, Jorginho's back pass yeah, and Mendy yeah. just not having any idea what to do with that. I mean, just put your foot through it and kick it out of bounds mm. is the answer. But, I mean, that was a bit of a disaster. Um, you know, Ballon d'Or contender Jorginho <laughs> not doing uh, his chances of the award next year, any favours. But uh, look, West Ham have shown that they can hang with these teams and snatch a result. And they did it again. It was a spectacular finish from from Jared Bowen that got them back into the game. But uh, I, I still think Chelsea are very much title contenders. But having dropped off the pace just a little bit, uh, they seem to uh, have a few more question marks surrounding them than Liverpool and Man City who have mm. that proven track record of a consistent success. And it looks like another season where you're going to need 90 points, yeah. 95, maybe 100 points to win the league. Yeah, for sure. That's every um, every match where points are dropped, you, you mm. feel like it, it could be fatal. And I mean, you know, for Liverpool just a couple of weeks ago, losing to West Ham, you, you're looking at, at that Chelsea game the exact same tie, you know, West Ham away uh, and sort of matching that result um, suddenly doesn't quite feel as bad for from a Liverpool point of view as it as it did a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned that um, the the expected points as well. You know, Chelsea are sitting on 28, Liverpool on, on 34. So Chelsea are, uh, or Liverpool are pretty much bang on 34.45 expected points and they have 34 points. Um, but Chelsea are, are overperforming theirs by about um, about five points, and uh, are, are on expected points are closer to fourth place uh, West Ham than, or well, in fact, they're closer to sixth place Crystal Palace on the expected points table than they are, to, or as close to Crystal Palace as they are uh, to Liverpool. And you know what I'd love to see there is the uh, expected uh, goals conceded per shot, because I mm. feel as if. Chelsea concede more shots 
and they uh, because they play a little, they play a little bit deeper defensively, um, and they don't create the high percentage opportunities that um, that Liverpool, Man City do. But I, I, I've always rated Chelsea's defenses under Tuchel is, is better than Liverpool and City. But that's also due to taking a few less risks. Mm. Uh, but they probably concede more shots, and therefore, you know, in the aggregate, it doesn't. It, it looks like their xG conceded is worse. This is a little bit esoteric, but stay with me. Here. <laughs> Whereas when Liverpool and Man City concede chances, they concede very few of them because they're always defending on the wrong, on the front foot. Yeah. But the chances that they do concede are very, very high high percentage yeah. because it involves a breakdown where someone often gets in behind and sometimes even one on one. Yep. Yeah, very true. Uh, it's and we we were just talking about Chelsea's defense a couple of weeks ago, and you know, Antonio Rudiger and the, I mean, really the whole back five and and how fantastic they've been. And all of a sudden, you know, they they can see three goals in a game, and that's well, at the time that was half of their in, the entire total that they conceded uh, in the the fourteen games uh, prior to that. So. Yeah, you you feel like this is maybe the first uh, of the the three teams, City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, that are are chasing the title. You feel like this is the first uh, the first real sort of slip up from uh, from either of those teams. I mean, Liverpool have had a couple of draws. City have lost to I can't remember who they lost to. I think Southampton early on in the season, or um, certainly uh, drew with Southampton at least. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, three matches, three winless matches in their last five for Chelsea. Uh, and I mentioned their um, their run coming up. Um, they go to Russia tomorrow morning, which is a dead rubber, but still a, a long way to go to uh, over to Russia. And um, saw some uh, some nice snowy photos of uh, Saint Petersburg, where uh, I'm sure they'll. They'll be met. Uh, What's the UCL snowball like? Is it a little bit more visible than the Premier League's I hope, one? I hope so. I hope it's a nice, uh, a nice bright orange. Oh, actually, when I say snowball, I mean yeah, <laughs> football. <laughs> they, yeah. Well, um, Lewandowski scored that uh, that bicycle kick in the snow in the last match day. I think it was a, a, right. a brighter sort of uh, orange hue, which will be a will be good Welcome to change. to stick out. But um, yeah, Chelsea's next round of fixtures. I mean. For the rest of the December, it doesn't look too bad. They've got Leeds, Everton, Wolves, uh, Aston Villa and Brighton. And then there's a um, an AFL Cup quarterfinal against Brentford wedged in there. So you think, you know, Wolves have looked good. Very nearly uh, took a point off uh, off Liverpool uh, just the week gone. Aston Villa having a mini resurgence under under Steven Gerrard. And Brighton, you, you never know what you're going to get with Brighton. If, if they can actually score, they, uh, they could well um, cause an upset. And then after that, it's Liverpool... Man City, Tottenham, Crystal Palace, Leicester, uh, all in a row. And right in the middle of that, um, they also have Club World Cup duties. So that's going to be a really, really, really busy and a really tough period. Uh, And then after that, that's, you know, March. And we're looking at probably 10 games or so left to go in the season. So it's going to be uh, an intriguing one to watch uh, to, to see how they deal with that, how the squad deals with it. Uh, we know, you know, we're talking about Lukaku's uh, fitness issues. We know Chilwell's uh, pretty much missing the entire season, if not um, uh, most of it, with uh, 
I don't think it was quite an ACL, but some sort of knee ligament injury. It was a bad um, injury. Yeah, Kovacic has been injured. Pulisic you know how I reflective, reflexively <laughs> rub my knee whenever. Yeah, it's like a yeah. <laughs> psychosomatic. Yeah, we're not um, we're not a not a good pair to be talking about knee <laughs> knee injuries no. uh, on a on a Wednesday night. <laughs> but we'll uh, knocking on wood here. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll move on from them. A uh, couple of the other uh, big results. Uh, in the Premier League over the weekend. I mentioned it briefly. Uh, Wolves, so, so close to taking a point off Liverpool, but Divock Origi comes off the bench and uh, does Divock Origi things. Do you think he's okay with his role at Liverpool? Like Because most players, after a few seasons in that backup support striker role, say, all right, it's been great, guys, good memories, but yep. you know, I'm moving on. I want first-team football. doesn't seem like he's ever going to leave. He just loves it. It doesn't. I Liverpool would be more than happy to let him go. I mean, Klopp said himself, I hope he finds a, a manager that would play him more than I do. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like there's a um, a desire or enough of a desire for him to leave and to get first-team football mm. because he absolutely could start in uh, in probably three quarters of the Premier League uh, in uh, up front for, for a number of teams. But... Well, I mean, maybe it's the maybe these are the memories that you cherish. Maybe he knows that he'll never play He's for a better win. team than yeah. Liverpool. So, you know, it's better to be involved in the squad that's competing for major silverware and playing your part and coming off the bench and scoring the occasional really important goal like this one or yeah, and he's, many of which he scored in, you know, Champions League finals and semifinals. Yeah, for sure. And he's he's so well loved in the group as well. After the after that Wolves game, all the players mm. taken to Instagram and and, I mean, say say he comes on him. FNR in 10, 15 years' time and we're interviewing about his great career. We're not going to talk to him about, you know, when he moved to Southampton in 2024 and, you know, played up front for a season and then got relegated. We're going to ask yeah. him about the Liverpool glory days, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. And he's he's had so many great experiences. The Champions League final, as you mentioned, the, the corner taken quickly and, and all that from the Barcelona game as well. And he's yeah. There's just that aura about him that he he only scores massive goals. There was the header against Newcastle in that uh, that title race a couple of years ago. He's had, got a fantastic record in Merseyside derbies as well. So he's is he the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of Liverpool? Just about. I mean, I that's was... a loaded question. Now we're talking about the managerial <laughs> career, but I'm talking specifically playing career. I mean, I guess Solskjaer played a little bit more than Origi does. Yeah, but... I, I was actually I was reading um, an article before. I didn't actually. I think it was on Up to Sport. I believe uh, I didn't actually. Um, get to finish it but uh Ali still holds I think it's shared with Olivier Giroud um the record for goals off the bench with 17 I believe it was is Chicharito um, anywhere near there I, I would surely, have thought so. surely you'd be on the list I'll have to I'll have to dig this article up I uh, I stopped reading it earlier because because uh, the green room was was starting up but he's I mean I I don't really know how um how Solskjaer was sort of uh perceived by Manchester United fans back in the day whether he had that sort of cult hero status that Origi does um you know instantly oh, as, definitely. As, as soon as he he did oh, did he? 100% yeah. and that's why he was given such you know patience by so many of the match going fans because they remember what he did and you know the I mean there's it's not just the, the Champions the League final yeah. goal but you know that was the culmination of a number of impressive uh, you know, cameos off the bench and uh, rotation yep. starts and so forth, important goals. And then he was also fondly remembered for uh, actually a red card that he got because I think it might have been against Newcastle United, if I remember correctly. Mm. Uh, he was the last defender and someone gave the ball away. Uh, it was bizarre that he was back there, but anyway. 
Um, <laughs> some, sometimes he didn't play up front. Sometimes he played on the right-hand side of midfield. And uh, someone gave the ball away through last defender, 1v1, uh, in the last minute it would have been, you know, um, equalizing goal. And he just took the player out and took the red card and got the suspension. And uh, it was like, oh, what a self selfless act. I was like, oh, <laughs> you've just broken the rules. But anyway, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I guess in that respect, uh, Origi would be um, very similar to um, to an Ole type at, at United um, at, at Liverpool now, I not entirely sure I can see him managing the club in uh, in, in, <laughs> ten, in ten, at the wheel. Riggy's <laughs> at the wheel. Oh goodness, I um yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure I can uh, I can see that one happening. But I mean, look, if he if he was to leave tomorrow, he's um he's a Champions League winner, a Champions League final goal scorer, and and part of the first ever uh, Premier League title winning team. So I think we've you know. The, the conversation about legend status is uh, is thrown around uh, qu- quite often in football circles and you know people are are often very quick to um, to to label someone a legend when you know they they do a couple of nice things but um, you know Klopp seems uh, very adamant that uh, that Divock Origi is uh, a Manchester uh, sorry a Liverpool legend uh, I've I've finally found this article. Um, Goals off the bench. Yeah, so he he's now equal for Liverpool with Daniel Sturridge uh, with 10 goals off the bench, go. and he has the most Premier League appearances as a substitute for Liverpool with 69. So uh, there you go. I'm not sure about uh, Chicharito because uh, Manchester United... Um, record is held by Solskjaer. Their record Solskjaer, is yeah. Solskjaer, so it doesn't mention Chicharito, but he'd, uh, he'd have to be up there. He was a menace for... a. A scrappy six-yard box header from a corner yeah, in Fergie time. Score with his knee or his yeah. bum, or it doesn't matter. <laughs> anything, yeah. any part of his body. I remember him scoring a couple of goals when he was prone on the ground as well. Mm, those, he was so good at those backwards headers where yeah. he'd somehow fling his neck in the opposite direction to, <laughs> to flick a ball in. Oh, um, I think he was better at heading the ball backwards than forwards. He, he probably was, to be honest. And he's, Just contorting his body yeah, somehow. For, for a man of his height, he was uh, he was awfully awfully good in the air as well. Uh, last one we'll touch on uh, before we head to a break is uh, is Everton. We've talked a lot about Everton in the last couple of weeks, criticised Everton a lot, um, but a, a big win for the Toffees against Arsenal in a, a disappointing week for Arsenal, another side that we've uh, we've talked plenty about. Um, a couple of losses from winning positions for the Gunners uh, against mm-hmm. Manchester United and against Everton uh, and the Toffees, um, two goals in the last 10 minutes. Uh, to win it, Richarlison, third time lucky, had two disallow goals uh, prior to that. Uh, what, the second one was so tight. Yeah. Like, come on. Oh, it was a toe offside. Anyway. I, I hate it so much. And uh, and Demarai Gray, again, the, a player that we've um, we've put under the microscope in the in the last couple of weeks on, on our show. What a, what a signing. Absolute worldie. And Marcel absolute, Brands, thank and, you very much. And, Two million. And Martin Tyler abs- absolutely loved it as well. <laughs> Vin- vintage Martin Tyler. Oh! <laughs> the thing is, I love a woe from Martin Tyler, but he he milked it so hard because he he there were three peaks and troughs in that in that Martin yep. Tyler ism. Adam Peacock was loving it on the, on Twitter <laughs> whoa, as well. Was it, uh, <laughs> it sounded like he was on like a roller a coaster. <laughs> <laughs> so Marcel Brands departing the club, then mm. they get this result. I feel like if he could have held on for a week more, then everyone would have been singing his praises for his uh, his shrewd purchases, but. I think the final straw for him, and 
Everton were already in a situation with fan discontent that they almost had to make some sort of blood sacrifice to the baying masses. But uh, and and Marcel Brands was uh, the sacrificial lamb. But there was a clip of him circulating uh, where you know he sort of got into this confrontation with a supporter who was yelling at him and saying, you brought these players in effing and blinding, whatever. And he responded cryptically, is it only the players? And I think mm. that's um, uh, that's a uh, not so cryptic dig at Benitez and Mashiri uh, because I, like, I feel a little bit sorry for him. Yes, Everton have wasted a lot of money, but I wonder how many of these transfer decisions were actually his mm. and how many of them were managers and particularly Fahad Mashiri interfering in the business yeah. that he was supposed to be responsible for because he didn't appoint Rafa Benitez. That was Mashiri's idea. He wanted Graham Potter, you know, and, and this is such a hodgepodge of a squad with players from, you know, five different coaches, um, you know, there's signings with radically different ones, you know, Allardyce signings, yeah. Ancelotti signings, yeah. you know, Marco Silva players. Like wow. these yeah. are, you couldn't get more different in terms of the directions that this club has trying, tried to pull in over the last few years. So, mm. For me, although Marcel Brands, his record isn't impressive and, you know, Everton have really poured a lot of money down the sink, I wouldn't hold him solely responsible for, for this mess that, he, that has been made at Goodison Park. Yeah, it's it's always a, a fascinating uh, topic of discussion, the, the responsibility of transfers and, uh, and where it sort of lies. I remember there was um, back in... As Brendan Rodgers' time at uh, at Liverpool was coming to an end, there was the whole um, hullabaloo, if you like, about the the transfer committee, as it was known uh, at Liverpool. And you know, one of the first things that Jurgen Klopp was asked when he started uh, started the job was, you know, are you going to be taking on this transfer committee? Who is going to have the final say on on transfers? And and he was very quick to say, you know, first and last call is mine, and and in between that, you know, he'll. He'll talk with uh, with whoever else, and obviously Michael Edwards has, has made a name for himself at Liverpool with um, a, a, a string of, of fantastic transfer business. But Klopp was very adamant that it was his decision, uh, and you know you, you look at uh, like you mentioned the situation at Everton. There's a, a lot of clubs where owners and other people are, are meddling in uh, in recruitment meetings and 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 key decisions to signing players or hiring managers or, or whatever else it may be. And and yeah, it's a, it's a great point about this this Everton team as well because they have cycled through managers. I completely forgot Sam Allardyce was uh, was ever there. Uh, obviously, a few years ago, and and they really are just a mix of mm. of different players from uh, from all those eras. Well, eras. I guess it's the same era, but all yeah. those managerial reigns. I mean, let, let's let's go through a few of his big deals because you know we're not sure how many of these were his his mm. moves, as we've alluded to, but it doesn't make for impressive reading. Uh, his first summer was actually not too bad. I mean, Richarlison, very expensive, mm. but barring injury, very impressive yep. uh, when he has been fit. Yerry Mina, you could say the same. Mm. Um, but, like, I, I think Yerry Mina's main problem has been he hasn't gotten the park enough for me. Yeah, um, he's, he's a bit of an, an enigma still, Yerry yeah. Mina, I think. But I'm, I'm still a fan anyway. I, I You know, I, I think players like him, I mean, he's got pedigree and obviously you know Barcelona didn't want him but he's not the kind of player that Barcelona would want because they're obsessed with playing out from the back he's more of a defender's defender if you like and uh, a threat from set pieces as well Uh, Luca Digna 
pretty good, pretty good transfer. Yeah, Even yeah, if he was dropped well. after arguing with Benitez before the game. <laughs> Uh, you know, Kurt Zuma on loan was very, very good. Uh, Andre Gomez, before his leg break, looked pretty pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the next, uh, well, the uh, the next summer, Alex Awobi, mm, not so good, were, $30 million. He scored three goals at Everton, three league goals since uh, since that time. And, that, and they've all come, a month, thanks to Martin Tyler's uh, fast facts in the commentary, mm-hmm. um, they've all come against Wolves in, <laughs> in different seasons. Amazing. <laughs> what has he got against Wolves, huh? <laughs> uh, Moise Kayan from Juve. Yeah, that was I a mean, disaster. <laughs> good, good player, but, you know, I don't think he was ever given the right opportunities and yep. mentor mentorship. I mean, we all remember Big Dunk Ferguson's treatment of him. Yeah. Uh, Andre Gomez permanently before the before the league break, of course. Uh, Fabian Delph, ten million. On a mm. looked a, looked a shrewd bit of business at the time, but again, he's he's another one that struggled to to stay fit since his move. Jean Philippe Guberman for twenty five million. Speaking of staying fit, I'd love to. I'd I mean, love who to is Jean Philippe Guberman? Yeah. I, I literally like. I'm only vaguely aware of. Like he's a central midfielder, I think. Yeah, he's like he's like a a, a ball winning sort of he's midfielder. Supposed to be from the, the Ivory Idrissa Coast Gay replacement. Yeah, but he's so he basically is... the same the same price that they sold Idrissa Gay for. They basically spent on him. Yeah, he was it, exactly. He was meant to be the replacement in his first season. One start, one appearance off the bench. Second season, one appearance off the bench, and so far this season, one start, one appearance off the bench. <laughs> so a to- grand total of five appearances in. Two and a half seasons for, for 25, 25 million. million pounds. Amazing. <laughs> uh, ben, and then uh, last season, Ben Godfrey, who, I don't know, I, I think he's been inconsistent, to be honest. He's yeah, made a lot of mistakes. Ended up playing a lot of right back as well, which... Yeah, um, doesn't suit him. No, not at all. He's given... de- definitely a, a centre back yeah. for me. Um, and then they've never really uh, anointed a successor to Seamus Coleman in that spot. They always talk about, oh, we're going to get a new right back, a young yeah, guy to compete with Seamus Coleman. Keeps going. <laughs> keeps, keeps trucking along. Uh, 25 million on, million on Alan from Napoli. I mean, a player of that age, to spend that amount of money on him, mm. I think is a is a terrible move. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I he's, mean, he's, a good player. he's a good player and, and he has done well uh, since joining Everton, apart from being turned inside out by Diogo Jota last week. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's not the most uh, not the most sensible of of deals for the for the long term for sure. And uh, Abdullah Decore, I think I like he, him. I mean, he's played pretty well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Abdullah Decore. Even when he was at Watford, I um I've always always thought he had a lot about him, uh, and I, I think he's still doing well uh, at Everton as well. And of course, James Rodriguez was a free transfer, but uh, mm. you know pretty expensive wages yep. and then Damari Gray on the cheap Andros Townsend free Salomon Rondon free so look I don't think this rain has been quite as disastrous as maybe it's made out to be Awobi uh, and Gubama uh, I can't say his name clearly uh, <laughs> clearly two big misfires yeah, and I think they probably spent too much on on our land for a player mm-hmm. of that age um, but I just think it's the managerial churn and potentially ownership interference that's, that's getting in the way here. Yeah, it's a. I wonder if there's a a good old athletic deep dive on uh, on Everton. I, I I would love to to give that a read if it if it did exist because it's um 
it's a fascinating situation. You, you use the term managerial churn. Like not only have they gone through a lot of managers, but in my opinion, they haven't really been very good managers for the last handful of years either. I mean, just thinking off the top of my head, Marco Silva, I think he sort of found a level. Like he, he did okay at Watford for a couple of years and then it it, um, it went sour very quickly. Carlo Ancelotti, of course, is a, a great manager, but I think we're, we're starting to see with some of those older guys him and Jose Mourinho that, um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily the all-conquering con- all managers of uh, of the past. And I don't think his heart was ever really in the Everton job necessarily. And, and he was turfed pretty quickly. I also think that people are associating brands with some of before he actually arrived. Yeah. And that's when they spent $200 million on players. Yeah. Uh, likes of, you know, $50 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson. Yeah. Uh, thirty million on Pickford, thirty million on on Keane, thir- nearly thirty million on Davy Clarson, which is a horrendous yeah, deal. That's awful. Chenk Tosin and <laughs> Theo Walcott for a combined fifty million. Uh, Vlasic, Onyekuru, Sandro Ramirez. Uh, those last two have barely oh, been heard Sandro from. Ramirez, wow! In he the was Premier League, tragic. Wayne Rooney on a free transfer. Who was actually probably the best of the lot in that oh, list? Oh, <laughs> maybe. I look. I'm, I'm not sure if he did more harm than good there. But no, you know that was that was a summer that Lukaku went to yeah. United for United, 85 yeah. million, and they, they completely spent all of that money in one summer. And that was before Brands even arrived. That was when Mashiri came in and tried to make a big transfer splash mm. in the new ownership. And that's you know when when you see all those graphics about how much money they spent in terms of you know total spend or even net spend, it's usually that summer that actually looks to have hamstrung them and, mm-hmm. you know, f- it makes them look like they've thrown good money after bad. bad. Whereas since brand- Brands has come in, uh, they've been a little bit more cautious in the transfer market than certainly that that one. Yeah, well, and particularly this year, um, largely because uh, they uh, they didn't have much money left uh, and, and sort of um, made yep. do with what they had with a couple of those uh, those cheap deals and those free signings. But... Uh, We'll have to keep an eye out on uh, on a, an athletic deep dive and uh, and go searching and, and see if there is one to to sink our teeth to. Uh, we haven't taken a break yet. We've uh, we've done well about forty odd minutes. Uh, yeah, well, so- I've been nattering on, <laughs> basically reading out the entire transfer market page no, of Everton. So uh, any uh, any conversation about uh, Everton not fulfilling their potential is uh, <laughs> music is, to is, your is one that I'll enjoy. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Uh, we'll throw to a quick break. Uh, on the other side, uh, we're going to bring out predictions for uh, the next Premier League manager to be sacked. There's a couple that might be uh, starting to. Yeah, teetering on the precipice, starting to get ants in their pants in their managerial hot seats, if you like. Uh, and we'll also preview uh, the weekend's games, including uh, a very major return home uh, for one Stephen Gerrard. That's after the break. to the EPL show on FNR Football Nation Radio. We've got the scopes out and uh, we're looking for a manager to pull the trigger on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, didn't, I didn't quite intend it to be that violent when I thought of that in my head when we, uh, when we came out of the break. But alas, uh, we'll, uh, we'll roll on. Uh, 
you feel like there's a there's a few managers in the Premier League that are probably starting to look over their shoulder and uh, and be a little bit uh, worried about the sack. Um, considering we've just had a, a lengthy discussion about Everton, I think Rafa Benitez is uh, is certainly one that is uh, is at risk. Uh, I've got one in mind that I think. Um, Maybe it's controversial, but I think looking at uh, where his team is sitting, uh, judging off preseason expectations, I think he certainly uh, would have reason to be worried. Who, uh, who are you tipping? Well, I mean, honestly, uh, the Watford manager is always a hot seat. That seat, <laughs> that seat is is yeah. it's, uh, it's sizzling, simmering. <laughs> so you know, even if Claudio Ranieri relatively recently installed, I don't think it's. Against the realm of possibility that he might be replaced without notice. Yeah, for sure. Well, he's uh, he's lost three games in a row now, so he's uh, he's probably a couple mm. away from uh, from getting potsoed. <laughs> I yeah, think potso is the Italian verb for uh, kicked out of the club. Yeah, <laughs> I, lo- I love that. It's a uh, it's like... it means, uh, it's like defenestrate. You get thrown out a window, you get potsoed. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, um, but. Yeah, this Ranieri's uh, reign at Watford, I think, started uh, obviously started very well. Well, didn't start very well with the, the loss to Liverpool initially, but uh, a couple of wins following that. Oh, they beat the, United, but everyone's United United everyone's won. beating the United. That's that's fashionable <laughs> that's, these days. Yeah, that's, bo- that's boring. Well, not not in the not in the new era. Not in the Ralph Rain. Rain. Yeah, for sure. Um, like Ralph Rainick, if you Rainick. will. Oh, I love it. <laughs> The I don't. <laughs> uh, Not my me. best material. <laughs> Who do you think is going to get the get the cam? Um, I think Brendan Rogers is uh, showing great character and well, uh, showing a lack know, he's not of character this at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, Leicester are in eleventh. Like, no, it's not going well. It's not, not going well. Not at all. And I mean, the, remember when he was being talked about as the next Arsenal boss or the next, next Manchester, Manchester United boss for. Seems like an eternity. He's been talked about the next uh, Manchester United boss. And is that his problem? Arsenal. He's always thinking of his next big move. And yeah, not the, possibly not the challenge uh, in front of him. Loses loses focus towards the end of the season when it comes time to actually secure your Champions League position. Yeah, possibly. Maybe he's um he's busy in discussions with a uh, with a big club heading into the the, he's the had end his, of had the his season. Head turned and they've <laughs> um they've given him a, a classic. Um, you know, football manager loves a, a good ultimatum. You know, if you <laughs> if you're near the sack, you have to get seven points in in the next five games or whatever it is. So maybe these clubs will be like, look, if you if you finish in the top four with you know a few games left, and you uh, you maintain the top four position, then um, then the offer's yours. But uh, and and maybe uh, he gets in his head and uh, eye off the ball, slips there. out. But uh, I mean, even even when he was at Celtic, like obviously they were fantastic in. Um, in, in Scottish football, his, his Celtic side never really um, did much in Europe, but of course won the treble and added to however many league titles it was in a row. But nine. he was nine. It was nine in a row, yeah. but not all of them Brendan's, of, yeah, of course. course. Yeah, uh, but he was always always looking back at the Premier League um, while uh, while he was at Celtic and and left Leicester. Oh, sorry, left Celtic for Leicester quite late in the season when Celtic were on the way to another one of those league titles and, and Celtic fans weren't too best pleased uh, with with the way that he left the club. Um, it's it, different circumstances now, but yeah, Leicester in 11th and it's an 11th place at the moment that is three points above 16th. Uh, and so tight in the middle of the table. It's it ridiculous. is. And, but and, 
you know, you look at some of the results they've got this season, just defensively so porous, so many mistakes. I mean, they lost to Villa, Stevie G's, uh, Aston Villa, of course, yeah. Rogers' former captain at Liverpool, famously. Yeah, there was there was a great photo of the, the Aston Villa bench all celebrating and Gerrard sort of looking over his shoulder and Brendan's pulling some sort of uh, unimpressed face uh, that was, uh, was captured quite well. But... Leicester in their last um, oh gee, handful of games, uh, they've only got a 4-2 win against Watford to to show for it. And, and again, like we said, this is a Watford team. All that was the first of of the three losses in a row that, that they've had. But a loss from, um, from 1-0 up to a 2-1 loss against Aston Villa. A draw with uh, Southampton. Uh, Southampton side that aren't doing very well. A loss against Chelsea, which... You can take, but three nil. I mean, is um, is not great. Uh, draw with Leeds, who aren't performing well. A loss to Arsenal, who you know are continuing to show their inconsistency. I mean, what's going wrong for for Leicester this season? Because Jamie Vardy's still scoring goals despite his mm. rapidly advancing years. He's second top goal scorer in the league behind Mo Salah, which is ridiculous. When I read that, I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, but... Uh, considering the results Leicester have been getting, but they just keep shipping so many at the other end and. You know, they've tried to rotate the team. I saw they started somebody called Dewsbury Hall in the midfield this yeah, morning, which, yeah. uh, um, I mean, sounds more like a Jane Austen uh, period piece than a player, <laughs> but anyway. He's, uh, <laughs> I've got you there. Oh, dear. He's, um, he's not bad, Dewsbury um, Hall, Hall a, a young guy. That was, it was his first Premier League start, but he'd made uh, five appearances uh, off the bench prior to that and played a little bit. In Europe and a, a couple of League Cup games as well, but yeah, it's something I think you brought up a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, that you know, typically Brendan Rodgers has been one of those managers that sticks uh, quite solidly by his um, his sort of main starting eleven. Never really used to make a lot of changes, but now I think this season, I think we're starting to see him sort of running out of a few ideas and uh, and starting to make um, make a lot of changes because uh, he's. He's he's really playing around with that team, and again to to go back to um, the the good old expected points table, they're uh, sixth bottom uh, in the expected points. So they're you know as disappointing as their season is, they're still even uh, outperforming um, really how they're how they're playing. Uh, the the Vardy thing is interesting because particularly after last season where he just completely died through the the back end of the season and Kalechi and Nacho was, um, was shouldering the load in front of goal for, for Leicester. It, it looked like Jamie Vardy was, um, you know, was the beginning of the end for him. He is what, 34, 35 years old. You know, Pats and Daka came in in the summer and Nacho, as I mentioned, had a great end to last season, but Vardy's come back and is, is chipping in with goals. James Madison has, uh, has started to be a little bit better, but, Still, sort of a fraught with inconsistency, but I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not really entirely sure where it's going wrong. They have had a few injury issues at the back. You look at some of their key defenders. Johnny Evans has only played nine times. Yannick Vestergaard, summer signings, only played seven times. Ricardo Pereira, only eight times. But I think, I think Rogers is his. his Wow, I've, I've sounded like a B there. <laughs> Just <laughs> Brentford bias over here. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think his his time is realistically is is almost up. And again, like the the Chelsea run, 
I think the next couple of games, you know, come the end of this winter period, if if there's a few more losses in there to, I mean, surely they can't lose to Newcastle. They only got their first win last week, but then they go Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool in the League Cup quarterfinal, then City, Liverpool in the league, uh, and then we get into January, and uh, it's starting to get uh, very busy in there. It's um, I, th- I think he's in trouble. Is it as simple as getting some of these guys back from injury? I mean, uh, Tillemans has been in and out a little bit. I think they're a different side without Yuri Tillemans there. Yeah. But then the raft of defensive injuries they've got, I mean, uh, Ricardo Pereira, uh, James Justin has been really useful for them in yeah. a variety of positions. Still still hasn't come back from that big injury yep. he had last year. And then the big one for me is Wesley Fofana, who was so impressive until you know he did that horrible ankle injury. Mm. And he's supposed to be back next year, early January. But I think after an injury like that, you take some time. Yeah. I I think there might be a different side within there because, you know, Johnny Evans isn't getting any younger. Uh, so, aren't you? I think he's always got a mistake in him for me. Yeah, he's very erratic. He's really impressive sometimes. And you mm. think, oh, this guy's the next great defender. He's going to be picked up by, you know, one of the, the big four or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then he occasionally just has these mental lapses. Quite similar to Rudiger in that sense, that he's sort of a little bit mm. all arms and legs and, and a yeah. bit culpable of, of those sort of wacky moments. Yeah, I think he, his decision-making as well at times uh, is just a bit off. Like, he, you know, he'll overcommit to certain challenges and... Um, I I do wonder whether the Vestergaard signing is working out. I yeah, I haven't I, been impressed with him at all. I I was a massive fan of of Yannick Vestergaard at, at Southampton. I um, but he's playing under a really uh, different manager. Yeah, that like that team plays completely differently to Leicester. Yeah, like absolutely. They, you know the the pace of play and the verticality of Southampton and the pressing versus Leicester's more possession-focused game is worlds apart. So I wonder whether when they profiled that signing, they really got it spot on because it's it's just such a radically different um, set of circumstances and you're just being asked to do different things as a player. Yeah, because he's, he's certainly not one of the quicker uh, defenders in the league. He's... Uh, and. Like as you mentioned, the the verticality that Southampton play with, he, he's got that sort of raking diagonal ball from from yep. centre back that perhaps he's he's not um, not having to play as as often. Um, he was always defending on the front foot at Southampton. Yeah. He's sort of playing as a stopper, I suppose, yeah, and always attacking the ball. Yeah. And they, they, he had a covering defender in behind him usually. Whereas at uh, at Leicester, he's being asked to play first station passes into midfield all the time. And I just feel like he looks really awkward out there with the ball at his feet. Mm. When he does play, he doesn't play that much because they're playing Evans and Soyuncu yeah, ahead of him. Uh, as I said, he's only only made uh, seven appearances, less than half of, of the season so far. And I think it's a, there's another thing to be said about Rodgers as well is that he he seems to, to shuffle quite regularly from a three, to, uh, three at the back to a four at the back. Mm-hmm. And he just seems to... Be, not only uh, when we're talking about changes, not only in terms of personnel, but also in terms of just the the actual structure from from game to game. I think sure. it, it can't be easy for a bunch of players to, or for a squad to, you know, one game be playing a four two three one, then next week be playing a four four two, and then in midweek they're playing a three four three. It's it, a, a lot to to get their heads around, and you know, players will be playing in different roles. One minute you're playing as a wing back, then you're playing as a, an out and out fullback, or could even be uh, operating in one of those centre back positions. I know um, uh, Luke Thomas, uh, typically a left wing back or a left back, but he often 
will operate in that sort of left-sided centre-back role that can be uh, uh, obviously very different. So we'll we'll have to see how uh, how Leicester come through that uh, that difficult period that uh, that I mentioned and. Because they've got so many players in that team that I really like. Yeah. You know, there's so many talents it's in there. Obviously, Madison is sort of like, uh, he's, he's a bit like Grealish to me. Mm. And they look a bit similar as well. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but just in the way they um, they play and he's so poised on the ball and he's so composed. And indeed, he obviously is always linked with big moves and you know, he's one of the premier kind of ball-winning midfielders yeah. in the competition. Top player. Then Harvey Barnes this morning. I mean, not this morning. It was Monday morning, wasn't it? The goal that he scored. The goal yeah. that he scored against Villa, even though they went on to lose that game, was unbelievable. Mm. Like I've never associated that kind of finish with him. He's an all-action sort yep. of uh, hustle and bustle, like winger. And the, the way that he, yeah. the way that he struck that is like this football business is a piece of piss. Just, you know, <laughs> it's actually a massive goal, and you just have to pass yeah. it into the corner. Who would have thought? Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> it, was, it was such a delightful finish. He just rolled it in. Yeah, but you, you mentioned him. He's one of of many um, Leicester players that have been linked with those those big teams. You mentioned so mm. you. You know, Madison is a, a long term uh, or long time. Uh, Arsenal or Manchester United target. I don't think any um, of them are going to get the money that you'd need to spend on them to pry them away from Leicester. Spent yeah. on them unless they start putting together consistent performances. Absolutely. It, you know, indeed, he's been linked with Manchester United. Tielemans uh, quite recently linked with Liverpool. Harvey Barnes linked with Liverpool as well. So it's a it's a squad of supremely talented footballers. And you mentioned those guys that are out. I th- 100% they'll be a better team with those players back uh, back in the side, not only benefiting from their quality, but also ben- benefiting from you know the ability to keep players fresh and um, particularly through the um, the this busier yeah, uh, winter, winter period, period, having more more bodies to to call on. But yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Like I said, we'll have to see how they uh, how they come through. I think um, there's just been so many mistakes that they've made defensively. Like, it was stupid goals, yeah. stupid goals they've given away. And I, I mean, those are coach killers. And some of it may be based on you know what Rogers is asking them to do. He's pretty set on his philosophy and the way he wants his team to play. And you know maybe it's getting a little bit predictable now. And, and teams are setting up to to turn the ball over high against them and and score those goals. But I mean, Kasper Schmeichel must be absolutely fuming oh, with some of the defending be. that's going he, on. He he loves a crack at his defenders <laughs> as well, so he certainly uh, would not be happy. But twenty seven goals conceded this season for the Foxes. Only Watford uh, with twenty nine, Newcastle with thirty, uh, and Norwich with thirty one have conceded more, and that's uh, three of the bottom four teams. The other thing I noticed about Leicester, and I don't have the stats to hand, but the amount of goals they've conceded off set pieces is mm. absolutely ridiculous. And not okay. just corners as well, but free kicks in and around the box. They seem to give away a lot of free kicks. This is just anecdotal. But they seem to give away a lot of free kicks and seem to concede from quite a lot of them. And we saw Esri Consa scored twice against them for Villa. Yeah. Um, so if you're conceding two goals to a centre-back, you've got to question your set-piece yeah, defending. Yeah, for sure. So uh, 27 goals conceded in total, seven from corners. Two from set pieces, there you go. one direct free kick, and three penalties as well. I mean, that's a, it's probably a high number. There you go. Not not all of my anecdotal evidence is that accurate, <laughs> but thank you for Love backing it. me up. That's, that's almost <laughs> almost half of the twenty seven goals conceded. Only uh, fourteen of them have have been from actual open play. So that's um, certainly not a good look uh, for Leicester. 
probably a case to be said for Mikel Arteta to to maybe. I mean, we we talk about Mikel Arteta's uh, job security um, mm-hmm. often enough that it's uh, frankly becoming a little bit annoying. I don't think he should be sacked. Whether or not he will be sacked is is probably a different question. But two really disappointing results um, in, as I mentioned before, in the Manchester United and Everton defeats. Uh, all of a sudden, they're now four points back from the top four. Where last week, um, had they beaten Manchester United, they would have been in the top four with the win after West Ham had had those couple of uh, of slip ups. You know, they're back behind uh, Tottenham as well. They're again only only a, a couple of points really um, securely in the top half of the table as well. So um, yeah, Arteta. I mean. With the the volatile Arsenal fan base, you feel like uh, Mikel Arteta's job is uh, is never quite safe. Uh, but just before we head off, some big games this weekend, as there always are. There's always big games. In I mean, I think this is Premier one League. we have to focus on for you, Nick yeah, Hughes, for sure. I mean, it's going to be divided loyalties when Aston Villa take on Liverpool. It is your it's, boy in the dugout. It's gonna it's gonna be funny to to see him. Um, yeah, lining up on the other side and and cheering for another team at Anfield. It's uh, I wonder if well, if Aston Villa do score. Hopefully they don't. But um, if his you know his celebrations or his uh, his overall animation will be uh, subdued on the touchline, he'll he'll obviously get a massive reception. And do um, managers do the non celebration celebration like players <laughs> do? Is it like a respect thing? <laughs> yeah, like, like Ralph the Ralph Hasenhutl gif when he. Remember when he started running on the pitch and then he turned around and went, down. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But it'll, I mean, Aston Villa come into the game in uh, in real top form. Yeah. Uh, Gerrard's won three of the four games that he's, uh, he's come in for. manager bounce. Yeah. Ridiculous. And he doesn't seem to be doing anything radically different. No, not at all. So, yeah, Formation-wise. It seems to, uh, the, the same 4-2-3-1, a lot of the same players, but uh, seems to, certainly early doors seems to be getting a lot out of uh, John McGinn, which, you know, mm. whether or not he's imparting some of his uh, midfield uh, wisdom uh, on him. Um, and, you know, Danny Ings is still out, but Ollie Watkins is uh, is chipping in. Emi Buendia looks uh, looks pretty good as well. Uh, and he's staying um, staying uh, faithful to, to some of the young guys, the sure. uh, Carney Chukwemeka. Um, eighteen-year-old uh, is, uh, is is still featuring, uh, and uh, Ramsey as well, who uh, started in the in the win against uh, against Leicester. Jacob Ramsey is a, a very tidy uh, young player as well. But yeah, it's still the same team. Uh, whether or not it's just a, a little bit of a, a lift, whether or maybe the tomato sauce ban is uh, is working after all. Uh, but it, it'll be a tough game. I think Aston Villa have uh, traditionally uh, been tough opponents uh, for Liverpool mm. over the last couple of years. You know, last season's fixture at Anfield, uh, Alexander-Arnold scored a, a, a screamer in, 90, in the 90th minute to win it. Uh, I remember mm. at Villa Park, well, obviously Villa Park was the 7-2 need, need last year. we bring year. it up. <laughs> um, and Villa Park the year before that was the two goals in added time from Robertson and Sadio Mane to win the game. Yeah. And that was sort of the first moment that you really thought Liverpool were, were going to win the league that year. So Yeah, that was that run that they went on in sort of yeah. October, or was it? Around there. Yeah, it was near yeah. the start of the season, but they went on this ridiculous run of winning you know, games in the last minute. And it just yeah. like seemed like the... Yeah, Leicester was another one. Yeah. James Milner scored a penalty. Um, but, yeah, this, I mean, it's certainly going to be one to keep an eye on. I, I, I can't wait to watch it, obviously. Uh, not purely for the fact that I uh, I love watching Liverpool every weekend, but it's... 
it's it's going to be a special occasion. He's he's been sure. asked about it for a couple of weeks already. I mean, he's probably getting sick of those questions. Yeah, oh, absolutely, he would be. And he keeps down playing. He says, you know, I've, I'm showing respect to Aston Villa. You know, I'm the Aston Villa coach. We're we're going there for a result, which he which he has to say. But I'm sure he he would be. Right Super now, excited. I am happy at Aston Villa <laughs> yeah. and under Don't, contract. Yeah. But do, do you look, never know what do, might happen do in football. Happy. <laughs> Don't ask me silly questions then. <laughs> oh, dear. I love it. Uh, but, yeah. Any, any other fixtures catching your eye? We won't go through all of them. I mean, Wolves are always um, always up for a cheeky win against Man City. That would um, that would do nicely. Bright, <laughs> Brighton Tottenham, I think, will be an interesting one. I... I've, I've, again, I've, I've said it many times before. I'll continue saying it. I live and die by Graham Potter and Brighton, and I live and die by Tottenham. Even when he's eleven games without a win in all yes, competitions, I will. I will remain faithful, uh, and I equally I will remain faithful to the argument that Tottenham are absolutely rubbish, and I cannot believe that they're in fifth position. So you think Brighton are going to get a result? Possibly. They have eight players out. Have you seen that? No. I think they're going to miss eight first team players. Oh well, they they had four injuries in that West Ham game. There you uh, go. They ended with ten men because Adam Lallana got injured after they'd made uh, all the subs. So, yeah, maybe. I think um, it might be a tough one up. to turn the ship around this week in particular. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, at, at home against against the Tottenham team, that I mean, they're not uh, um, without uh, unavailabilities as well. Mm. Six players testing positive to. Over nineteen in the week, so that'll be uh, so it'll be a reserves match. Is what we're saying? Yeah, it'll um, be the one I've got my eye on uh, this week. I mean, obviously uh, with implications for the title race, but uh, Chelsea coming up against Leeds after a little blip. It's going to be interesting to see how you know it's so gone, all gone so swimmingly for Tuchel uh, since he's taken over. This is the first little blip for Chelsea mm. in their uh, their charmed run so far against Leeds United side that really needs a win. Uh, yeah. It's all it's all gone a little bit pear shaped for Leeds this season, and there are a few teams below them that are even more in danger of relegation. So maybe they've flown under the radar slightly. But Rafinha, usually the only bright spark in mm. an otherwise pretty rough campaign so far. Yeah, they've had a funny old season. Leeds, you look at their they've only lost one of their last seven games in the league, but. So many of those games have been draws, and they're still only in fifteenth. You know, they have seven draws out of fifteen games, which uh, only Brighton, of course, have more. Brighton have eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that it'll be an interesting game uh, to. I mean, if we're talking about uh, Chelsea, sort of starting to ship a couple of goals, you know, whether Leeds's high octane uh, attacking sort of football can uh, can shake up Chelsea's back three or back five or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and Crystal Palace Everton, I think, will uh, will be another one to keep an eye on. Uh, Everton at risk of really taking a downward spiral, but uh, seemingly bouncing back after that uh, Arsenal win. Uh, and Crystal Palace, who were mightily impressive early in the season, but all of a sudden they're down in 14th place. Uh, they've lost three in a row uh, and uh, will be looking for a bit of an upturn in form when they go to Goodison Park. But with that, I guess we uh, better say goodnight, Nick Hughes. Yes, we better. I am knackered. Late, <laughs> late nights in Geelong on a Tuesday night are uh, not much fun, I'll tell um, you that much. And you'll have to get your beauty, beauty sleep to prepare for this weekend of Premier League watching because that Liverpool-Villa game kicks off at the devil's hour of 2am oh, on Sunday had, morning. We have had so many Sunday 2am games. I am frankly quite... 
goddamn sick of it. At least you can watch it here, <laughs> and at least it's not part of the UK blackout. Yeah, very true. Very, very I mean, true. We're, we're well, privileged to be able to watch all the fixtures, apparently. Absolutely. Thank Even you very much. Even if they are at ridiculous times of the night. Thank you very much to, to Optus Sport and, and fantastic. I, I don't know if I said it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I'm, I'm very happy that they've uh, they've kept the rights for another handful of years. That's um, yeah, great to see. They, they do a, a great job with the Premier League. But on that note... We'll sign off on the EPL show here on FNR. Football Nation Radio, myself, Nick Hughes, the birthday boy, Josh Parrish. Goodbye for now. Enjoy your week in English football, and we'll catch you next week.